KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Carol McKenzie. We've had a lot of breaking news about vaccines these past few days, most of it good, but some of it not. Here's a quick rundown for you. Pfizer says its vaccine remains highly effective six months after the second shot. The Pfizer and Moderna shots prove safe for adolescents. J&J tosses millions of doses because of a manufacturing problem. And the CDC reports that Pfizer and Moderna shots work just as well in real life as they did in the trials and that they are 80 percent effective after just the first dose. These headlines raise a lot of questions like, do you need that second shot? Could kids be vaccinated before school starts in the fall? Can you trust the J&J vaccine? Can you trust the process that a vaccine goes through before it wins FDA approval? For the answers to these questions and a bunch of others, I called Dr. Paul Offit. He's an internationally respected expert on viruses and vaccines. He's head of the Vaccine Education Center at CHOP. He's also a member of the FDA's Advisory Committee on Vaccines. Dr. Offit, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. We've had a lot of promising vaccine news come out in just the last few days, um, starting off uh, with this new announcement from Pfizer that uh, they've done a study that they say shows in the real world it is more than 91 percent effective in preventing the disease six months after people have gotten the second shot. What does this say to you? And I mean, we're only six months out. So how important is this? Well, I think it's critically important. You know, when you do efficacy trials, so-called phase three studies that are done by these companies, it's done under highly controlled conditions. So the people, for example, who administer the vaccines, who store and handle the vaccines, know exactly what they're doing. When you then put it out into the real world, especially for a product like Pfizer's, which has to be shipped and stored on dry ice, it only has about a five-day uh, life in the refrigerator and only a six-hour life once you've violated that rubber stopper, mistakes can get made. So you want to see how it works out in the real world and what it looks like it works out in the real world, just like it did in those studies. So that's great news. And now they say this is going to allow them to apply for formal approval? Right. So, so these vaccines, all of them, Pfizer's, Moderna's, Johnson & Johnson's, are all approved through emergency use authorization, which frankly is the equivalent of having permission to use an investigation of a new drug. But I think what they're going to do now is come back hopefully soon, hopefully by no later than summer, and submit to the FDA sort of a so-called biologics license application so that they can get a licensure of their product, which is more typically what's done. Okay. And this follows news uh, from just a few days ago from Pfizer and Moderna that uh, their vaccines are safe and effective for kids as young as 12. Um, they looked at 2,300 youngsters. And this this seemed to me pretty astounding because they said 100 percent effective at preventing symptomatic infection. That seems extraordinary. Right. Well, so the numbers were small. This Pfizer had done a roughly 2,600 child study between 12 and 15 years of age and found that uh, they, basically 1,300 children roughly got the vaccine, 1,300 got placebo, and, and the 18 cases of disease. COVID disease were all in the placebo group. So numbers were small, but that, again, is really encouraging. And it's what you'd expect. You wouldn't mm-hmm. think biologically the 12 to 15-year-old would be much different than the 16 to 18-year-old. And so what I guess what does this tell you? They said, um, as you mentioned, it's approved for kids 16 and older. Um, so now they need to approve, uh, apply for FDA approval to vaccinate adolescents. You mentioned it's a small number. Do you think that's likely to happen or do we need to look at this some more? 
I think it's likely to happen that they're going to submit to the FDA Vaccine Advisory Committee and the FDA for approval down to 12 years of age. And then we'll all look at the data. I'm actually on the FDA Advisory Committee and we'll make sure that uh, this is what it appears to be. I mean, right now we're it's sort of science by press release. But if we look <laughs> at all the data and it looks uh, promising, then sure, it probably would be then approved down to 12 years of age. So then what what do you see? Are, uh, you know, the hope is to get uh, kids vaccinated over the summer to see a more normal return to school in the fall. Do you think that's uh, a possibility here? Definitely. I think it's definitely uh, possible that we could have enough vaccine by the summer to vaccinate children. Plus, you know, if we're going to try and get at least 80 percent of the population immune, either from natural infection or immunization, we are to some extent going to have to vaccinate children because people less than 21 years of age make up about 26 percent of the population. So I think we are going to have to vaccinate children eventually. One of the things they mentioned uh, was that the kids had a more robust immune response than adults. Why, why is that? Why would that be? Well, that's not surprising. I mean, it's generally true. Um, you know, you, you, uh, you're your most fit, I guess, up till about 19 years of age, and then things seem to gradually decline. Um, <laughs> just sort of kidding. But I think that, uh, no, it's, it's not surprising that young people have a robust immune response. That's why young children, for example, typically can make much higher fever, which is really a product of your immune response, than, say, an older person. Okay. So this also, though, follows the concerning news that that uh, scientists are seeing a rise in cases in kids, especially here in the Northeast. And they're saying that uh, kids seem to be getting sicker as well. What are you seeing? What, what is your take on that? Well, as a general rule, children, are, when they're infected, are infected less frequently and, and generally less severely. Um, but it does look like there might be an uptick in, in cases in children as we're getting, as we, we've basically, basically, you know, taken a, a, the other sort of susceptible population of older people out of it, either because they've died or because they're, they're naturally immune or because they're now vaccinated. Okay. And then, so you mentioned national, uh, I'm sorry, immunity, natural immunity, but they're saying more kids are getting sick and they're getting sicker from this. So is this... I guess, what does this do to, what are the other circumstances? Are we talking about variants? Are we talking perhaps about COVID fatigue? We're all just tired of being isolated and wearing masks? Yeah, I think it's all of it. I, certainly the variants, especially that so-called B117 variant, the UK variant, is definitely more contagious and likely to be more virulent. And, um, yeah, we, we are sadly uh, experiencing COVID fatigue, which is too bad because you're still seeing tens of thousands of cases, as many as 50,000, 60,000 cases a day. I mean, yesterday we had more than 1,000 uh, deaths. And, and you know, there, the, when, you, when you wear a mask and when you physically distance, that is as powerful as getting a vaccine. Until, until, until we can get those vaccines out there, we need to do this. I understand why it is business want to get back to work. I get that. But you can go back to work and still wear a mask. It's not that hard to wear a mask. I wish people would uh, would embrace that more. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing a push to from states to reopen businesses, and we are seeing some states removing their mask mandates. It, it, it is. It's, it's just a combination that doesn't make sense. I, I understand the, 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 the notion of, of trying to get back to business, but why would you ever just remove the mask mandate. It, it's, it is a way to be vaccinated before you have an opportunity to get the vaccine. So please wear a mask. I want to go back to kids for just a moment. What about kids under 12? When do, we, when do you think we could see vaccines for them? Right. So those studies are already beginning. Um, I think it's, it's likely that either by the end of this year or the early next year, children between 6 and 12 years of age uh, could be vaccinated, assuming we have studies that show that the vaccines are most importantly safe and also effective. Mm. So I think we will get down to six years of age. I think that the issue, though, too, is is 
just getting people vaccinated, depending on where you live, it's really hard to get an appointment. And it's exciting to hear that maybe kid, you know, the kids 16 and older, particularly in Pennsylvania, will soon be eligible. But, you know, I'm concerned about when those kids are actually going to be able to get the vaccine. You know, I think I think by the summer, uh, if the Biden administration holds true to what, what we appear to, to be able to do, we really should have enough vaccine for everybody who wants it and would benefit from it really by mid to late summer. So I'm optimistic that then it will be even more available at that, you know, pharmacies and, and other places where it would be much easier to get the vaccine. Are you concerned at all about the J&J vaccine? Um, they've had to toss millions of doses because of a manufacturing problem. Right. So so in a Baltimore plant, there was a, a mistake that was made. It, it, it doesn't affect any of the vaccine that's now out there, but uh, did mean the loss of more than 10 million doses. So that's too bad. It doesn't seem to affect, though, the Biden plan, which really was largely based on relying on the two messenger RNA vaccines of Pfizer and Moderna to get enough vaccine out there. So I don't think it's going to affect our goal of trying to get everybody who, who should be vaccinated, vaccinated by the end of the summer. But there's a lot of vaccine resistance out there. And I think when you get news like this about J&J and it follows news about AstraZeneca, there, you know, the blood clot issue where it was an issue. And then they, you know, they, the European regulators determined it wasn't. Now Germany is stopping use again. And then also the the data issue when it comes to application for emergency use approval here in the United States. My first thought was, great, people who are already hesitant to get the vaccine hear stuff like this, and it, it, it just makes the problem worse. Well, it, it, first of all, it should make people feel better. The fact that people are looking very closely at vaccine safety after the vaccine has already been released, that we don't have the UK AstraZeneca vaccine in the United States. The J&J vaccine, although it had a manufacturing problem, doesn't in any sense affect the vaccine that's out there. I, I really don't know what people want. I mean, you have two mRNA vaccines, which are 95 percent effective against all types of disease, mild, moderate, and severe disease. It also appears to be effective against asymptomatic infection, where you could still be contagious. It's, it's effective for people who are over 65, it's effective for a variety of comorbidities that put you at risk, like obesity or, or type 2 diabetes. It's effective for all racial and ethnic backgrounds. And now you could argue one could be skeptical before, you know, a few million doses were out there to make sure that it didn't have a rare side effect, but it doesn't even have a rare side effect. It, it's been in, in more than 100 million people without a problem. So it's as close. It's, it's the best vaccine. It's well, let me put it this way. It's as good as any vaccine that we've ever made and, and better than many vaccines that yeah. we have out there. I don't know what people want at this point. Well, can you tell us just a little bit? Um, you know, we've spoken to you about this before, and that is the process. So you are on the um, advisory committee for the FDA. You are one of the experts who look at these vaccines. Can you reassure people um, who might be hesitant to take it that you that the process is thorough, that you do examine the data? Right. We at the FDA Vaccine Advisory Committee and the FDA examines hundreds of pages of data. So we look at every piece of data that were generated by those vaccines. And I think I can understand why people would be concerned 
that one, the vaccine's been developed so quickly, that two, it's, it's using a technology, at least in the case of mRNA vaccines, that have never been used commercially to make a vaccine before. And that it's approved through emergency use authorization makes people wonder whether or not there are, you know, critical safety guidelines that are being ignored or that the process has been rushed. Mm-hmm. But the, first of all, the size of these trials, you know, 30,000 people for Moderna or 44,000 for Pfizer is as big as any as any pediatric or adult vaccine trial. The safety follow-up, which is two months after the last dose, is true of any vaccine. Really, the only difference, frankly, for why these weren't licensed products is you could say they were effective for a few months. You couldn't say they were necessarily effective for six months or a year. But you knew that it induced the kind of immune response, so-called cellular immunity, that likely predicted fairly long-term protection, meaning years, if not you know longer. So I think that, that you know people should be reassured by the fact that this these vaccines have been thoroughly tested, thoroughly examined, and now are being carefully followed once they're out there in the population. I want to talk about the CDC report also out that the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines work in real life. They followed nearly 4,000 healthcare workers, first responders, other essential workers for three months. These are people at high risk of exposure. And they said they found two things. The risk of infection was reduced by 90 percent after both doses, but the risk was reduced by 80 percent after the first dose. That when I that struck me as remarkable when I first heard this news. If you look at J&J, which is 72 percent effective at preventing moderate to severe infection, and that's just a one dose regimen. And you look at the 80 percent, you know, begs the question, do we actually need both doses of either Pfizer or Moderna? Well, the, the thing, what you care about when you get a vaccine is to make sure that you can induce a so-called cellular immune response. The fancy name is T-cells. That suggests that you're going to have longer-lived immunity. That happens after one dose of the J&J vaccine. That does not happen after one dose of the mRNA vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna. You need that second dose of Pfizer and Moderna vaccine if you were to have complete and longer-lived protection. So hopefully the takeaway from that that study mm. was not that one dose is good enough for the mRNA vaccines, because it certainly isn't. But those numbers are extraordinary. I mean, when we're talking vaccines, we've gotten used to hearing pretty extraordinary numbers, you know, 80 percent, 90 percent, 72 percent. Right. No, if you look back, when, when we first you know, were considering vaccines, um, the FDA had as a, a guideline that we would that we had to have at least 50 percent efficacy. Dr. Fauci, very early on in the spring, said that he, he was optimistic that we could have 70 percent efficacy. You know, we have for two of the vaccines, 95 percent efficacy for protection for the J&J vaccine, for protection against severe critical disease. It's 85 percent effective. After just one dose, you get, you know, the so-called cellular immunity that predicts longer lived protection. So. I think it's amazing. It's just phenomenal how well these vaccines are performing, which is why it is just remarkable to me that anyone remains skeptical. I mean, I can understand initially being skeptical, but the data should make that skepticism melt away at this point. I want to talk. You just touched on the long term protection from the two doses. Um, and again, we touched a little earlier on the, the news from Pfizer about uh, that says their vaccine is effective six months out now. How does this play out? You know, as this pandemic wears on and obviously, you know, the studies are going to be be done as we go on to see how long they last. I guess, how is that going to work as we get into this? How are we going to find out? Like you said, maybe they last for years. How are we going to know that? 
Well, you're going to know. I mean, you're going to know that, that there, there are people who've been naturally infected or people who've been fully immunized, that, that if they then nonetheless, despite that, that, that immunity induced by natural infection or immunization, are still hospitalized or admitted to the, intent, to the intensive care unit or die from, from this, you'll know that. And then we need to make sure that we, we obtain those viruses that they were exposed to and make sure that they aren't variant viruses that have just become completely resistant to vaccination. Mm-hmm. So, so we'll know that. I mean, for right now, it hasn't happened, right? Right now, people who are immunized or naturally infected are not getting hospitalized, and that's great news. And now we'll see how long that lasts. In the CDC study, they asked the participants to swab their noses every week, which means they got results for asymptomatic infections. How important is that? It's important to know that, that again, even if you've been immunized, not only are you protected against disease, meaning mild, moderate, or severe disease, but you're also protected against infection where you don't have symptoms but still might be, you know, contagious to others. So that's good news. But it's still important to wear masks. I mean, I'm fully vaccinated, but when I go out in, in public to, say, shop at a deli or something, I still wear a mask because I don't know whether or not I'm going to be exposed to a variant where, where I still might get mild to moderate uh, disease um, after I've been naturally or after I've been immunized. Um, and that, that's what you need to worry about. Dr. Fauci pointed out that recently in front of Congress why it's still important to, to wear a mask when you're out in public, even if you're vaccinated, because of the, the prevalence of variants. There's a lot of questions or maybe confusion out there, too. Uh, People are wondering if you've been vaccinated and you're exposed to the virus, um, can you spread it if you've been vaccinated? Well, so that's the good news. It it looks like, you know, at least... You know, you have a very high chance of not only not getting disease, but also not getting the so-called asymptomatic infection where you could still be contagious. So that's good. But I think some people may misinterpret that to mean, great, now I don't have to worry about wearing a mask. But the, the vaccines, while they're very good at preventing sort of the common strain that's out there, um, for some of these, these variants like the South African variant, the Brazilian variant, this new, newly identified New York variant, while you're probably likely to be protected against severe or critical disease, you may not be protected against mild or low moderate disease. And that's why it's still important to wear a mask until we get on top of this infection, which we can by late summer, uh, early fall, if we're if we all get the vaccine that we can benefit from. Yeah, and that's the trick. And I think we're all <laughs> looking forward. Uh, we we're also thrilled that we can finally see the light at the end of this tunnel because it has been a long year, hasn't it? It has, but but I, there there it is amazing how much we've accomplished in this year in terms of how science can can be our way out of this and vaccines are our way out of this. So we need to embrace them. And so looking forward, um, you know, you mentioned variants and the possibility that we may be protected, you know, by these vaccines from what's out there right now, but maybe not in the future. Um, But do you think we'll ever kind of go back to where we've been in this pandemic or will we will we will we be able to uh, pivot quickly enough to get uh, to respond to get booster vaccines out there so that we don't go through this again? Um, yeah, the thing you worry about is that a variant arises that is resistant to completely resistant to immunity induced by natural infection or immunization. The good news about these so-called genetic vaccines like the J&J vectored virus vaccine or the Pfizer, Moderna, mRNA vaccines is it's very easily easy then to construct a new vaccine. Um, it's hard, as we know, to mass produce them. That's what we're learning. But uh, th- th- we can now with the sequencing uh, that we're doing now in this country and in the world, I think we will be able to quickly identify those strains. That would be the worst case scenario. And then you're back to a second generation vaccine. OK, Dr. Offit, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time and your expertise. My pleasure. 
That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Carol McKenzie, and we'll have another episode out soon.